Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. We're coming to you live tonight. Well, you'll hear it on tape from Batavia, Ohio, and I've got some people with me, a nice little crowd of uh, folks to ask questions and give insights and things of that nature. Um, I believe this is our third published podcast. It's uh, the second part of what we've entitled The Devil Made Me Do It. And if you heard the first one, we went through some true and false questions. Hope we hopefully dealt with some things that maybe cleared up some things about the devil as angels, demons, Satan, Lucifer, um, and the adversary that we have in this present world. So um, we're going to hop right in. If you want to find us on Facebook, Dylan, it's, I forgot, it's... It's um, Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast uh, Facebook page. So at Facebook, Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. Is that yeah, how you find a, it yep. on there? Please yep. bear with me. Just search that, yep. Okay, Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast on Facebook. And we strongly encourage uh, criticisms and, and comments and whatever you want to do. We're here to learn and grow and seek the truth as offensive as that might be to some people, as controversial and as bad as it might hurt people's feelings. Uh, that's what we're here for. You can also email us at fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com. So fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com. We have plans to do quite a bit of Twitter activity because um, we just kind of like the idea of short little portions of truth that are kind of digestible and can make you, hopefully, again, edify you in, in your spirit. So um Hopping right in, um, we're going to deal with some true or false questions. We have a little trivia, a little quiz we do, and it's a little tricky. It's designed that way, and it's designed to help us learn about the devil and what kind of power, authority he has. Uh, my goodness, you could go to, if you had the time to go to 10 different churches on a Sunday and they were all preaching about the devil, you're likely to hear 10 different ideas and concepts about the devil and what he's doing, everything from not hearing about the devil at all. People don't even mention there's an adversary against uh, God's people or the people of this world. Um, all the way to the devil is such a powerful being that he's running around making people do things they wouldn't do otherwise. And we'd like to address that. Uh, the title of the podcast is The Devil Made Me Do It. And that's a tongue-in-cheek statement because we're going to set out to show in the scripture the devil doesn't make us do anything. Um, and we're going to kick off with this question True or false, and I've already given the answer, Satan will tempt us to do things that we really don't want to do. True or false, Satan will tempt us to do things that we really don't want to do. Is that a true statement or a false statement? False. False. Why is that a false statement? Why, why do we know that's false? Because many people believe the devil's running around making things happen, even though the same people that talk about the sovereignty of God and God's in control, the same people will say, oh, the devil's running on me today. The devil made my car break down. The devil made this happen. The devil gave me a sickness. The devil did this, and the devil made me do something that I didn't want to do. How, how do we know that's not true, that the devil, Satan, whatever we're going to refer to him as, the devil, how do we know that he cannot make me or anyone do something that they don't already want to do? How do we know that? Well, <coughs> well this verse that you have here, James 1.14, says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so what that means to me is I have enough 
just my flesh alone has enough uh, temptations. I don't need no help, brother. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, so according to the scripture, and you, you quoted James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So where does the devil play into that in our lives? Where does the devil play into tempting us? He does tempt us. We agree with that, right? He does tempt us. I don't think he necessarily tempts us as much as he provides opportunities. He opens up doors that uh, we don't need to go through. Okay. Is that a pretty good definition of being tempted? Providing opportunity. If If I know Rob's really hungry and I know he's really hungry and he's been out in the desert for a long time and he's really hungry... And I know if I can provide him the opportunity for some food, he might go away from his fasting and serving God and eat that food. I provide opportunity. Will we call that a temptation? Sure. I would, yeah. That's what happened to Jesus yeah. when the devil tempted him, right? right. And what did, what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. There's more important things than just bread. One thing we probably want to put our feet down on is Satan is going to tempt us of things in the flesh. He is going to use our fleshly weaknesses and desires against us. So it's really important that, as Rob pointed out, that we acknowledge every day. It's part of our walk of repentance and faith. You are redeemed through repentance and faith, and you're kept safe in the body of grace by the same powers of repentance and faith. And acknowledging every day that my flesh still has the same desires it had 20 years ago, 30 years ago, same desires, we hope that walking with the Lord and becoming sanctified which simply means dying more to our flesh, we have more, we, 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 we have less opportunity for our flesh. We understand that better, that if I go over here in this certain situation, there's going to be more opportunity for me to sin than if I don't. We've got to learn that. So it might come as a surprise for some people on the podcast. We really hope to get some, some feedback on this because it really comes down to what kind of power the devil has. Now, <clears throat> The devil could be sitting right in that corner over there, staring right at all of us. And if we had no desire to sin against our God, he'd have no power of us whatsoever, would he? No. He's, he's no. taking occasion, but just like sin takes occasion through the flesh, and Paul talks about that, and by it slew me, because sin takes occasion through the flesh, and Satan deals in the fleshly realm. And that can look really good in the fleshly realm. It can be the old name it and claim it and give me a new Cadillac or God, I want more money, this and that. That's as, that's as much of a fleshly desire as watching porn on TV. There's no difference. It's a, it's a desire to satisfy our sinful, fearful urges of the flesh. Is it not, Bob? It is. It I, is. I, th- I think about, <clears throat> when I think about the power that Satan has, I always, my mind always goes back to Job. Mm-hmm. And I think about, you know, God and, and Satan you know, discussing, you know, what, what Satan can do. Yeah. And he allows certain things. And then you think about uh, Jesus saying to Peter, you know, said, I'm allowed, I'd allowed Satan to sift you, you know. So it's, it almost seems like he, he's got power, but not unless he is unleashed to, to exercise it. He is, he is absolutely under God's authority, and Satan's not doing anything that God does not allow him to do. I think that's clear. Isn't Jason Job and yeah. just about any place that Satan is not running rampant in this world. What's running rampant in this world is human sin. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what runs rampant in this world. Frankly, human sin has far greater influence in this world than Satan. He's taking advantage of that. 
but it's running rampant, our sin. So we go back to James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And we know from 1 John, some other references, the lust of the eyes, right? The lust of the flesh and the pride of life, looking big. Satan's in charge of the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, and the pride of life. Whatever this, this life has to offer to make us feel good about ourselves. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's it's self-esteem in the third grade or it's the foundation for a better life. It doesn't matter. If it's something that glorifies humans in the flesh, that's the pride of this life. I would, I would make the statement that Satan's the god of those things. And he does a wonderful job because it's a pretty easy job because people want that. They want to be full of pride. Gosh, me growing up, it was always, let's get out. Camel pride, let's go. Be proud of you. I mean, it's probably not that dastardly, but wasn't that the whole thing? You want to have pride in what you're doing? Rob, you're in the military. What's that all about? Marines, man. Proud to be a Marine. Pride is not a spiritual. Right. It's not a gift of the Spirit. Not it's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's none of that. It's a sin. It's a sin, and but we glorify it as what? In this world, we glorify human pride. I mean, just look at the signs around. You've got churches with signs that said, you are enough in there. They've got signs at churches that say, you are enough. Let me tell you something. You're not enough. If I was enough, Jesus wouldn't have died for me. I'm not enough. But it's confusing because we want to tell people that, you know what, I'm sorry, Dylan, you're not enough. You're born in sin. You're conceived in sin. You're going to sin. And unless Jesus Christ breaks that chain around you of wanting to sin, that's exactly what you're going to be. You're not enough. You can't overcome that in your flesh. The powers do not exist in the flesh. So, talking about the power Satan does have, if God allows, if I have a desire to do something evil and wicked, and that's my desire, and God will allow Satan or this world to give me an opportunity, I walk right through the door and I do it. Who made me do that? Yourself. They, myself. God didn't make me do it. God God provided. He didn't stop me, but Satan sure didn't make me. Nobody held a gun to my head because that's what we wanted to do. So it gets down to this human responsibility factor, doesn't it? Or human accountability factor. Would we agree with that so far? Yes. Do you think it'd be shocking to a lot of people if they accept this and learn that Satan does not have the power to make someone sin? Would that well, be a shock to some people? Sure. Because you want to believe that it's somebody else's fault, mm-hmm. right? He made me do it. That's the name of your thing, right? The devil, the devil made, me, made do it. me do it. And that's right. a false and statement. It, yes, it is. And it's, it's so to easy take, to blame somebody else. Mm-hmm. They don't want to take responsibility for their own sin. They, they, they don't want to come to grips with the fact that, man, I really wanted to do that. I did that thing. I stole that money. And I could say because, you know what, when I was a kid, I stole money because my dad died, my mom abandoned me, but I still stole the money because I knew I could steal the money and I thought I was justified in doing it. Is that any less sinful than a person robbing the bank down here? No. It still proves I have sinful desires because I could have trusted God. Somebody could have came and said, Jim, no, we'll take care of you in the name of Jesus and you don't have to steal money to buy food. We'll take it. And people didn't do that. But they could have, and that's what we do now. That's part of our Christian walk. Hey, you don't need to go out here and do this because we'll take care of you, right? So this kind of all works together. So you've got, you want to talk about Satan getting a stronghold or a foothold. You want to talk about those sorts of charismatic ideals. 
Well, Satan can get a real good foothold when the church isn't taking care of their own people, especially. Oh, my goodness. A vast majority of people come to this food bank down here that we have are people from churches where their churches don't help their own people. Okay, that's a sin, by the way. That is a sin. You're supposed to you're supposed to serve your people, aren't you? It's also in the book of James. It's also in the book of James. It's also in the book of James. So um, pretty good. So back to the power Satan does have, if God allows him to tempt, he's got some supernatural abilities, doesn't he? What are some of those supernatural abilities? Of Satan? Of Satan. What are some of the supernatural abilities that Satan have that are above human beings? Can he? You think Satan's smarter than us? You think he knows more than us? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. He's far superior in intellect and knowledge. He's far trickier than us. As a matter of fact, I was just looking a little bit about this idea of Lucifer that I learned recently came from the Vulgate. That's a Latin word. Bright but, morning star. Yeah, it's really the bright morning star. It's the, it's Venus. The Lucifer was a reference to the planet Venus and this bright morning star that came down. And so having the King James translated that from the Vulgate, but like the Wycliffe Bible, they didn't translate it. They, they translated the bright morning star. And we know that the devil can transform himself into an angel, a messenger of light. He's very tricky and deceptive. We have no chance of seeing through his lie unless we're told that it's a lie. And unless we know the lie. So... That's going to lead me to the second question here we're going to look at today. And true or false? Rebecca, you're not allowed to answer because you got the precursor this morning. And we're going to look at John 8, 44, but the question is, true or false, the Bible records that Satan is the father of lies. True or false? Well, we've been through this before. Oh, you've been through it. So, so I pretty much know the answer to that one. So if anybody's listening today, I want you to write down, be honest with yourself, and write down if you think that's a true statement, that Satan is the father. Well, let me say, does the Bible record that Satan is the father of lies? And we're going to look at John 8, 44. It may be shock you a little bit, but this is getting back to what we talked about, This the kind of power Satan has, the kind of deception that he is, the kind of game He's running on this world because he's running the game on this world, and it's a it's a it's a solid game, and it's foolproof if you're going to trust in your own ability to try to figure it out. So, so by father, what, what what's your description of father? The, the, the originator. Originator. Yeah, he. Everybody, just like just like God is the father of all those who are sons and daughters of Him in the name of Jesus Christ that serve Jesus Christ. Satan is the father of all those who serve their flesh. If you're a person that's living in the flesh, Satan's your father. Um, you could probably say it this way, that you're going to spend eternity with the father you serve in this world. If you serve God, our father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as a selfless, sanctified, dying-to-yourself individual, you're going to spend eternity with, with Father God, Yahweh in heaven. If you're going to serve the flesh, or actually, either way, Jesus would say if you're going to try to serve both, it's going to default to the father of the devil. And actually, he told some of the Jews, you're of your father, the devil. He's the father of the lie that you believe and the father of the lie that you're promoting. You're on the wrong team. So that's there's a context behind that when Jesus said what we're going to read in John 8, 44. But this is, does that help you, Bob? Yeah. Is that good? And this is, this is, the, this is the rundown I was referring to. And let's see, we'll start... Um, 
in verse 42 of John chapter 8. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Jesus didn't make the decision to come here. He was sent and he obeyed. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word, period. It's a rhetorical statement because you can't hear what I'm, you can't hear my word. You won't accept the fact that you people need a redeemer and you can't save yourself. You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Very important statement. The lust of your father, that's referring to fleshly lust. You're going to be looking for ways to, number one, you're going to be deeply in love with doing things your way and doing what you want to do and being autonomous, and whether that's you know, the right to bear arms or it's the right for spring, all this stuff in America, it's great we have these, it's great we have these constitutional rights, isn't it? It's good we have those. God didn't give them to us. And I'll, I'll say this as a, the preacher in me says, when you bow your knee to Jesus Christ, you surrender all human rights. Amen. You say, I'm no longer, uh, how can you say, I'm going to be a Christian, I'll be under the complete authority of Jesus Christ. He will tell me what I'm allowed to do, what I should do, what I don't do. But by golly, don't try to, don't try to take one of my constitutional rights away. What's, what's greater? God. The freedom in Christ or, or, or constitutional rights? And I'm not saying I'm against them, but don't get them out of order, whatever you do. Do not get those things out of order. So, in verse 44, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, there are millions of variations of, of Satan's lie. But he only told one lie in that garden, and Jesus locked him into it. He told one lie in that garden, and Jesus Christ divinely locked him into that one lie. So I guess the question would be, what is that lie he told? Be like God. You can be like God. He told the lie to the woman that if you trust in your own powers of human understanding, if you do things yourself, here you go, if you believe in yourself, you can be just like God. And she bought it hook, line, and sinker, and every single person born in the flesh after her have bought it hook, line, and sinker. Will we agree with that? Jace, you want to chime in? Yeah, I'd like to nuance that because if you go back to that specific passage, it goes on to say that they that he wasn't necessarily wrong. It said they became like God, and then it says knowing good and evil. Um, so, yes, they can't be exactly like God in all things, but they did become more like God in the sense that they knew good and evil, and then you start seeing death in there. But I think the bigger part of what he said that was wrong was that um, you surely will not die because once they do that, death is the big part, which that really makes them not like God because if you kind of go back, in a sense, they, they were made in the image of God, so they kind of already were, in a sense, like God in one sense, and he was telling them that like like you're not all the way like God, which he was kind of right about. In one sense, I guess. Without getting too confusing, let's talk yeah, about that. It's little... Let's talk about the difference. When God created man, he said he created man in what? His image. His image. In the image of God, he created him. If we fast forward to the New Testament and we speak about Jesus, true or false, does the Bible say Jesus Christ was created in the image of God? No. It does not. What's it say? He's the perfect image of God. He was of the image of God. 
Jesus Christ was like God in every way. He's the stamp, the human stamp. He is, he's God in flesh. He was of, I was created in the image of God. I'm a reflection of God's goodness, righteousness. I have the ability to worship and serve and, and to love. And I have the capacity, I was created with the capacity to be a part of God's family and the qualifying factors being created in God's image. Jesus was of the image of God. What Satan, the lie Satan told was exactly that. He tried to convince Adam, well, the woman and the man, oh, God's keeping things from you. You're just like him. We are not just like God. Mm -hmm. We are not, Jace, just like God. You could say it. We're like God in one way. Jesus is like God in every way. Mm -hmm. In every way. You see me, you see the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. I am not the image of the invisible, invisible God. The one lie that, that the devil told in that garden should be termed the lie of the righteousness of man. All Satan's got to do, listen, all Satan's got to do is convince people that they have some goodness in them. When we were growing up in the church, Bob, bet me up on this. How many sermons do you hear about not trusting in your works to be saved? More than you can imagine. Was that a pretty good thing, Rob, when we were younger? You'd hear a preacher, you couldn't always go to church, Rebecca, on a Sunday, every, and not hear, don't trust in your human works to be saved. Do not trust in your own fleshly works. You rarely hear that anymore. Right. And the reason for that is because the lie of there's some goodness in man and we're just trying to get better, the Joel Osteen lie of be a better you. Listen, mm -hmm. when you're an unrighteous wretch, I can't be a better me. I can be a worse me, I guess, but I can't be a better me. I have nothing to work with, mm -hmm. Right. So Satan tells a lie to God's creation who, frankly, at that point in history, listen closely, at that point in history, the woman and the man had no knowledge of God's wrath. No knowledge of death, no knowledge of wrath, mm -hmm. no knowledge of anxiety, no knowledge of depression. They had no knowledge that, that justice and wrath even existed in God's righteousness. Mm -hmm. They had no knowledge of that, did they? Mm -hmm. right. As soon as Satan convinced them Oh, you know what? God just doesn't want you to have everything. I get, listen to this. You guys just aren't getting everything God has for you. Something's wrong, Jason. You're just not trusting God for everything he really has. He's holding something back from you. You need to get up here and pray more and tithe more and do this more and do that more because you need everything God's got for you. Is this starting to sound familiar with the modern church? Mm, that's why that New Age stuff is so popular. It's why the church is so popular. It's why they're filling up this Bethel yeah. church and stuff because they're telling the same lie. God's got you. You need more. God's got more for you. Go get more. God's holding back from you. Does this sound familiar? It's the same line, a different package. It's a secret knowledge that it's Gnosticism. Of, yeah, secret knowledge. It's Gnosticism. Knowledge. It's this secret knowledge. We know something you don't know. Again, Satan told this one lie, and the lie should be termed the lie of the righteousness of man. It's a lie. Man has no righteousness. The Bible clearly records that. Does the Bible clearly record? You can only miss that truth, Dylan, if you want to miss the truth. Right. There is none righteous, no, not one, filthy rags. You can only miss that truth, Bob, if you want to miss it. And a lot of these preachers want to miss it, and they want you to miss it. Because, frankly, they're playing on the wrong team. They're hitting left-handed when they should be hitting right-handed because they're playing on the wrong team. We have to beat that lie to death because that's the one lie that's taking down the entire human race, the entire, entire unrighteous human race. So to go back to that lie... When Jesus says, you're the father of it. You're the one that created this lie, Satan. You brought it into my creation, and that's the only lie you're going to tell. Now, there are millions of variations of that lie. Are there not? 
There are millions of variations of the lie that, of the goodness of man. We could go on and on about all these moral organizations, the world moral right to the, remember, remember the Christian, the Pat Robertson moral majority? Does the moral majority sound like a Christian organization to you? He's at, at televangelist. Yeah, right he was here. one of the first. Te- he was the he ran for president on the ticket of the moral majority. Does does the term moral majority have anything to do with redemption by blood? No, zero. They'd As a argue, matter of fact, they, they they're argue. fierce enemies. You could also call Satan's lie the lie of human morality, the lie of trusting in human morality, because Paul gave that a run. He had made a pretty good statement about that, didn't he? You want to make a run at righteousness morality, which is the same as saying righteousness by law. I was born the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, the whole nine yards, touching the blameless. I've decided to reject all that for the knowledge of Jesus Christ righteousness, correct? So Satan, when he told the lie, there's a bunch of them out there now, but the church's responsibility is every time we see one, we pick them up like a carnival, little pop-up carnival thing. Oh, there's one, knock it down. The problem is, not only are we not knocking the lies down as we see them, what are we doing? We're adopting them. We're, we're, we're becoming part of the culture. Nike. You can do it, man. Right? Yep. <laughs> Ain't that It's all over the place. Right. Yep. Do it. You're, all this stuff. And we could go on and on about it because Jesus Christ stands on one side and says, listen, you're all unrighteous, and the only way to gain righteousness is by faith in me. There's no other way to get it. And anything that tries to parade itself like it's a part of that is diluting the power in the divine blood. It simply dilutes the power in the divine blood. You're, you're saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, if I had to have blood shed for me to be forgiven, I don't think there's much chance of me doing anything else in my moral flesh to get that job done, is there? No. But Satan, we get back to him being the light bearer, this father of light. Well, there's two lights in the world, isn't there? Jesus made that clear. There's a light that lights every man that comes into the world, and it's a light that blinds people to their own, the truth of, that they're unrighteous. Then there's the true light of God that lights up your sin, the conviction, the Holy Spirit that shines that big light on our life and saying, you think you're a good person? Take a look at Jesus up there on that podium, battered and bruised for your sins. And we should look and say, ooh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was, or maybe I don't have any good at all. And we should turn... To back to God by turning to Jesus Christ in faith. So does that help a little bit? I didn't want to get that mm-hmm. kind of deep into it, but it's important that we understand that the devil, Satan, whoever he was, whatever his name was, whenever he fell, whenever he came down, that he told a lie, and the lie was about you can be righteous without God. You can, and this might this might be another way to put it. Probably the, well, <clears throat> the most egregious offensive sin that exists in the whole of creation is something that we don't consider generally a sin at all. And that's the statement, I have the right to do that. I can make my own decisions. Ask any teenager and they'll tell you what. I'm growing up, Dad. I'm, I'm going to make this decision myself. I live in a, I can make my own decision. At what point did God ever tell any of us, Bob, I trust you. Go ahead and decide for yourself on this matter and let me know what you think. Never did he say that. It's what, that word, <clears throat> I. It's the word I. Right. The most offensive I can't word. I do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Bob had a shirt on the other day. I loved it. It said, what did it say? What? Your shirt you were wearing. 
He is oh. greater than I. Mm, small I, big H. Yeah, it was great. It speaks volumes. But see, we think in our world that we really, God has really given us this right to make our own choices, do what we want to do, take whatever career path we want, yet we sit at altars all day Sunday praying for the will of God. Truth is, they don't want people don't want the will of God. Or they'd be surrendering to the will of God. They'd be working to sacrifice and surrender and suffer for the will of God. Mm-hmm. But in one mouth, on one side of their mouth, they're they're demanding that God give them healing and then begging for God's direction. Make up your mind. Let God have his way or don't let God have his way, because you're not fooling you're not fooling God, and you're not fooling us most of the time. But the point of this podcast is in case you're fooling yourself, hopefully that'll help you. Because you might just be misled. There's a reason it's recorded at least a dozen times about false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing that are getting rich off you people that hopefully are listening to this podcast by telling you, you need more. God's got more for you. Let me tell you something. God sent his only begotten son to die for you. He's got some more, but he gave you all you need. That I can assure you of. He didn't miss out. God's not thinking, oh, gee, we forgot to give Dylan this. Can you go check in the back and make sure? Because he's praying really hard down here, and he's getting a little—he's claiming it pretty heavy over there. He's demanding I give it to him. We better get to work over here, son. No, no. We bow to him. He doesn't bow to us. Let's get that straight right now. I think he made that very clear when Satan said, I'll give you all this if you'll bow down. You'll fall down and worship me. Listen, no. We fall down at Jesus' feet. He's not, he does not fall down at ours. Correct? But isn't it interesting— that, and somebody alluded to it before, Bob did, I think, we, we talked about it this morning, when he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, Peter. Simon, Simon, it was Simon then. That word is demanded. He's demanded that. Jesus doesn't take kindly to demanding anything. Be very cautious when you start demanding things of God because you think you deserve them. What do we deserve from God? Nothing. Hell. Death. Wrath, yeah. The wrath. That's what we deserve. So we live Death. in mercy. I'm very thankful you let me go. I don't think if I got in trouble today and I was looking at 10 years and the judge said, you know what, Jim, I'm just going to cut you a break. I'm going to show you mercy, and I'm going to I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to make you do the 10 years. And I said, well, that's great, but I demand a new car and a new house to live in right now because I love that mercy, and now you need to give me this because I'm not living. Co-. I mean, would anybody in their right mind think that way, Bob? I think so. Wouldn't I be like, man. If I could live in a shoebox, that's fine. Thank you for getting me out of this pit of hell. Thank you for getting me out of prison. I know some people right now that would trade everything for that. But are we too far of ourselves, Dylan? Is that what it is? We think a little too high of ourselves? Yeah. Are we getting a little too puffed up, maybe? You think? You think? <laughs> too self-invo- self-involved. Yeah. Selfish. Too self-indulgent. So, let me ask a question. <clears throat> so, we're created by God. Why do you think he created us? With the sin nature that we have, the carnal nature, the seeking after the fleshly things that we can't, we can't hardly control, it seems. Why do you think he did that? It's a great question. Because he could have created us any way he wanted, but apparently, angels and humans have that in common. That God created them in such a way that they could willingly and freely serve and worship him. I mean, that's like you saying, Bob, if, 
if you and Lois decide to have another child right now, and you, I said, Bob, you can have another kid. You know what? You can name her whatever you want, and I'm going to give you the magic potion where that kid will never rebel against you, no matter. You wouldn't want that, would you? You wouldn't want that. You listen. God is about freedom and life, and love, and love. That's the key it's element. The essence of love. And here, and the answer to your question is this. And there's a statement. To love is the greatest treasure that exists in the whole of creation. That treasure, that treasure belongs to the one who does the loving. Listen, the answer to your question is this. Pause that for a minute. The answer to your question is this. God knows that the greatest treasure that exists in him and his creation is love. And when you love somebody, listen, one of my greatest treasures in my life is loving you. That treasure belongs to me, Bob. I love you, and that treasure belongs to me. I feel good about it. It gives me the incredible feelings of, of, I can't even describe them, they're so great. When I love God, it's the same way. Listen, our God wants us to experience that because those are feelings of true worship. That's what he wants his creation to experience. We think worship is some drudgery type of thing, or it's antics most of the time. What it is is the deepest form of union you can have with a person to adore and contemplate how wonderful and awesome and merciful and just and perfect somebody is. You ever meet somebody you fall in love with? I have a little little saying, well, they're probably not perfect, but they're perfect for me. Hmm. Right? You ever been like that? Not perfect, but you're perfect for me. And God is perfect and he's perfect for me. And that's why God does that. God you got to kind of jump out of the theology books and the church services and all these fools up there trying to present. I'm sorry to call them fools. That's exactly what they're, they're just, they're spiritually blind people trying to make some sort of essence of God that really isn't there or dumbs it down so bad. God wants you, Dylan, to experience the true treasure of worship in loving him. It's not for God, it's for us. And God loves it. God desires we worship him in spirit in the spirit of righteousness, the truth of righteousness, so we can experience that, Bob. And we've experienced it, haven't we? Yeah. You, it's, not, it's not common. Trust me, guys. On here, if you're going to Sunday service and hooping and hollering, it's, it's rare. It's few and far between. You've got to be so, frankly, overcome with Job-like suffering to experience it or so sold out to your flesh, and then you can get a taste of it. And anybody who's gone through this kind of stuff knows that. When it gets down to the point, I can't hang on one more second, this is it, and you get to experience that love. Now, Satan does not want us to experience that. And he doesn't care if you're playing the guitar and running around or shooting. He doesn't care. If he can make fake false falsehood and, and, and degrade that, degenerate that, he's going to do just that. But that's what we're talking about. That's the kind of battle and that's the kind of war that exists. And worship is a powerful thing, Rebecca. And it's not dancing and singing and playing the guitar is not worship. Singing a song is not worship. Worship is bowing yourself in adoring contemplation of our Creator. Bowing yourself and just contemplating, oh my gosh. And you can't explain it, but you know it's happening. And it's the most wonderful experience of the Christian life, is it not? It is. And, and the most wonderful, listen, those feelings of worship, they have no ceiling. Limitless. Go as far as you want. But once you start faking it and calling it something it's not, you shut them down. But the true feelings of adoring and contemplation have no bounds, and we'll experience that in heaven. 
we'll experience unbridled worship of our God in heaven. That's I, I assume that's all we'll know there. What do you think? No, I'm think Agreed. so. Yes. It's heavy stuff. It is. But it's truthful stuff. And we can get into all that and what happened. You know, God makes his creation for that purpose. <clears throat> he puts us in the perfect environment. And then Satan decides, gets a little jealous, gets a little envious. We talked about it last week. Might be a good time to talk a little bit about the reason Jesus Christ was crucified. If you read the scripture, you don't have to read very far when Pilate says, they know exactly why they delivered Jesus up. Out of envy. They were jealous of him because he was a righteous man and they weren't. It says right in the scripture, Pilate knew they delivered him up out of envy. He's not better than me. How many people, how many people, Rebecca, we line up when I start saying Jesus this or that and they're in their Black Lives Matter, LB, whatever. He's no better than I am. No, he's all the way better than you are and he'll redeem you. He's all the way better than me, Rob. He's not a little bit better. He's all the way better, Jace, than us. But people are envious of that. They're offended by that. I'm not offended at all. I embrace it completely. I don't like the fact that I'm a wretched, vile sinner. I can do some decent things in the name of Jesus, but I know exactly where I stand in my flesh. Importantly, I know exactly where I stand in my spirit. If I can stay the course and overcome and persevere, I'll spend a turn with my God. I'll see him face-to-face, Dylan. Amen? Amen. Very important. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Running a little short on time, so we're going to deal with this last question. And I really hope and pray there's some people that hear this that maybe are in some of these churches and probably, if nothing else, you might think today, gosh, that's different. I might be a little confused. Well, let's try to get from confusion to truth. Because my God's not the author of confusion. Frankly, your denomination might be. I know these YouTube preachers are full of confusion, and they're doing it purposely. A lot of them are really good at it, doing it purposely. Some are just misled. Some are just greedy. Some are just ordained false prophets. But there's a lot of confusion. So here's the last question. True or false? Satan is far more powerful than human beings, and we should never personally rebuke him. True or false? Two-part question. Satan is far more powerful than humans. Part two, and we should never personally rebuke him. True or false? Can we rebuke his schemes? The Lord is the only one who can rebuke Satan. When I say rebuke, I mean refuse to get on board with him. Resist. Resist. Good word. Rebuke means to set somebody straight and correct them. As a matter of fact, it's used in that same verse about Peter when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and be crucified. And, and Peter disagreed, rebuked him. He was trying to set him straight. It's a strong word that means, ah, you're try- I'm going to set you straight. It's an authoritative term. If I say, Rebecca, I'm going to rebuke you, I am taking a position of authority over your life and I will rebuke you. It's an authoritative statement. Just turn to Jude. It's the little book before Revelation. And let's just look at a little story. And I'll let you guys make your own determination. I've made mine. You can make yours. Jude. It's only one chapter. And this is the book of apostasy before the judgment. 
Little Jude sits right before Revelation. It's a little book of apostasy about spots in your love feast and all these different things. There's the Janice and Jambres Enoch reference in there. A lot of really <laughs> serious stuff in here. Verse 8, you might even know this happened. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dig- <clears throat> pardon me, dignities. Now he's talking to and about the church. This is not a bunch of lost people in Ephesus running around in, in orgies. This is the church. He's talking, about, he's talking about apostasy. It's the little book of apostasy before God puts an end to it. And he's describing apostate teachers. And apostasy simply means to forget. You're saved by grace, Dylan. You bow your knee to Jesus Christ. He saves you. He hedges you. You're living this wonderful, beautiful life. And at some point, you stumble into a church teaching you this prosperity, health, and wealth, name it and claim it, word of faith, whatever it is, or a Baptist, whatever bad doctrine you get into. And pretty soon, you forget where you came from. Be a little too full of yourself. You just forget the God who saved you. We should never forget that. Just like God, several times, hundreds of times, don't forget, Bob, how I took you by the hand and led you out of your sin. I did that. You didn't do it. Nothing special. I took you and led you out of Egypt, right? Don't you forget about that. These people have forgotten. And that's what Jude's addressing. And it says this in verse 9. Yet, Michael. Now, when you talk about these filthy dreamers that defile the flesh, they're people taking false authority. They don't ever, they never had, never will have. God never gave them, but they think they've got it. It says, yet Michael, the archangel. You know what an archangel is? You want to tackle an archangel? You want to go toe-to-toe with Michael the archangel in the parking lot? No. Anybody? Is he the one that led the armies? Yeah, he was a he was the host. He was a he was the head of God's army. I think we talked about it last week. Gabriel was the messenger who told all the good news, the gospel angel, and here's Michael, and he's the head of the heavenly armies. It would be God, the Lord of hosts. Michael, you're in charge. Mm. Pretty strong. Would you just attack, Would you go toe to toe with Michael the archangel? <laughs> I'm taking him on. Bring it. Let's go. <laughs> Stupid, foolish to think that. I wouldn't. The Jehovah's Witnesses would agree, too. A little bit too much, though. A little too much. Yet Michael the Archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Just a little sidelight. Who do you think the two or three strongest, physically strongest men in Bible history were? Just arm wrestling match. Who would win? Goliath? David, Samson, Samson comes to mind right away. Mm -hmm. Samson was a strong dude. Moses was no slouch. As a matter of fact, it says when Moses was an octave 80 years old before he died, that his eyes and his physical strength had not abated. You know, it says in the scripture that that Moses, when he died at 80 years old, was just as strong as he was as a 20-year-old man. Mm. Is that manna? Protein. <laughs> that's good, Jace. The reason I say that's because people like to use that verse in the Bible about binding the strong man. Mm. Remember that? How they said, you know, when somebody's trying to spoil your house, you'd have known you'd have bound the strong man. And they all think it's the devil. It's not the devil. It's not. But here you have Michael the archangel, and they're in a war over the body of Moses. The devil's trying to get the body of Moses, and Michael the archangel's trying to get the body of Moses. Why is that? What's so significant about the body of Moses? Anybody ever said that, saw it in the scripture? 
They're contending toe-to-toe, face-to-face. Michael, the archangel, mind you, who we already determined we're not going to tackle, not going to go after. We're not going to challenge him in a grudge cage match. And the devil himself are disputing about the body of Moses. And it says, Michael did not dare to bring a railing accusation, but said what? The Lord rebuke thee. Michael himself did not have the audacity to rebuke the devil. Now, how in the world, Rob, do people up at the Life, Living Word, Christian, Flowing River, whatever it is today, church, have the audacity to rebuke the devil if Michael the archangel, in the New Testament, in the, in the era of spirit-filled believers, where does Smith Wigglesworth get the courage and audacity to rebuke the devil when Michael the archangel won't even do it? Totally misled. Completely. Completely. Well, the word Jude would use is apostate. Yeah, right. Usurping the authority of your God. The question is false. We should never rebuke the devil ourselves. We should say, now we're perfectly, and Bob alluded to it, we're perfectly okay to say, Jesus, I'm way over my head here. There's a lot of things going on. Jesus, come intercede. Come rebuke the devil in your name. That's okay to invoke the name of Jesus, right? But if you hear the words, I rebuke thee, that's an apostate, that's an apostate statement. I has zero power whatsoever. You remember the story in the book of Acts when, you know, Paul and the guy came out and that dude was running around saying things in the name of Paul and that demon jumps on him and says, Jesus I know and Paul I know. I have no idea who you are. Who you think you're, what do you think you're doing here? And that guy runs out with his clothes torn off. Does that teach us something? Not only about the devil, but about where we stand. We have this great privilege of invoking the name of Jesus Christ, do we not? Yes. But we have no authority of our own, Rebecca. At no point did Jesus surrender his authority to me. You can talk, you can, I'll meet Kenneth Copeland in a back alley anytime he wants to and go toe-to-toe with this. At no point did God or Jesus Christ give me any authority over the devil, over my, over my sickness or anything. And I'll tell you why, Dylan, you ready? Because I proclaim Jesus Christ as my Lord, not me. I am not Lord of my life, Rebecca, neither are you. Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He's the authority over my life. If he sees fit to deliver me from something, I'll take it. I'm not going to cry if he doesn't, but I'm going to rejoice if he does, but I'm going to accept his will either way, right? I'm not going to demand he does it, and I'm not going to be a fool and run around doing bad things to make it worse either, right? But I just, I'll leave you with that. We'll leave you with that because I think that's enough to shake things up a little bit. I'd really want some insight and hopefully when we get this published, we'll get a lot of emails and stuff about that. And listen, if you can prove this different, if you can show me things in the Bible where human beings in their own human authority, in their own self-will, did something, I'd like to see it. Hey, thanks again for listening to our The Devil Made Me Do It Part 2. Um, again, we just want to reiterate, you can reach out to us via email with any criticism, comments, or even request for the next podcast at fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com. And you can check us out on Facebook at Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast. You can give us a like and you can reach out to us there as well. Thank you. God bless.